0: Well, it is good to be together, praising and holding high the name of Jesus, is it not? Man, so good to be together. So glad that you're here. Also, those of you who are joining us online, I just want to speak to you um, about the power of encouragement. And speaking of that, um, I want to thank you uh, for your overwhelming support for me and my family during this challenging time in, our, in my life. Um, uh, just um, my hope and my trust, I want to be very clear about this, is first and foremost in the Lord. But I am so grateful. <clears throat> but I'm so grateful for the love and the prayers of our church family. This is an amazing spiritual family to be part of, and um, we're feeling that. And so God bless you all. So let me ask you, how many of you had a bad day, or maybe even a bad week this last week? How many? Okay, there's a few that are at least willing to admit that. Uh, now. If I ask those of you who put your hand up to stand and to share why you had a bad day or a bad week, and I won't do that, so relax. But if I did, I would venture a guess that many of you had a bad week because of how someone treated you or someone is treating you. All of us, I'm sure, can remember a time when our spirits were lower than a snake's navel, Because of what someone said to us. On the other hand, we can also remember times, can we not? When our spirits were soaring because of what someone said to us. Encouragement gives life to relationships. It revives and it refreshes. It's like a cool drink on a hot day. It renews, it gives strength In fact, encouragement can actually keep us from falling into temptation um, and into despair. Hebrews 3.13 tells us to encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And this passage indicates that when we... um, don't receive encouragement either through God's word or from God's people, we can lose perspective in life. We can get really down and out and begin to believe the lies of the enemy and make decisions that lead to despair and hopelessness and also destruction. Encouragement helps you overcome when you feel overwhelmed. It helps you to soar rather than to sink. We all hunger, we thirst for encouragement. When sincere encouragement comes our way, we soak it up like a sponge. We drink deeply from its well because it helps us get through the day. Throughout the Bible, we are told to encourage others, and we know God blesses those who obey him. There's power in encouragement. In fact, the Bible says our words have power. Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Far more than we realize, the words we speak or text or email or tweet have an effect on the lives of those who are on the receiving end of Now you may ask, well, why do words have power? Well, look at the origin of creation. God spoke and things happened. In Genesis 1 verse 3, we read, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. In verse 24, God said, Let the land produce living creatures. And it was so. So here's the thing, we are made in God's image and in his likeness, which means that part of of us, part of his creation, being in his image, uh, includes the creative power of speech. Now God's words are far more powerful than ours, of course, but make no mistake, our words have power. The Apostle James, he writes this about the tongue in James chapter 3. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by one small spark. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. James says that the tongue is like a fire. It can set a great forest ablaze with just one little spark. On Sunday evening, October 8th, 1871, Miss O'Leary's cow kicked over a lantern, which started the Great Chicago Fire. The fire, which started as a little flame, blackened three and a half miles of the city, claimed over 250 lives, destroyed over 17,000 buildings before it was put out. That's a picture of the inflammatory power that the tongue has in human relationships. And James is saying, those who misuse the tongue are guilty of spiritual arson. A mere spark from an ill-spoken word can produce a firestorm that can wreak havoc and hurt everyone that it touches. It can destroy marriages, families, churches, communities, and entire nations. Even in our homes, the words that we speak in casual conversation will create an atmosphere in the home over time that will either choke or poison or nourish and strengthen others in our, fa- in our family. And the results can be devastating or life-giving. The words of the music that we listen to The television programs and the movies and the things we listen to or watch online have the same effect on us they will either nourish or poison our minds and our spirits if the people that you hang out with largely communicate negative thoughts and focus often on the negative qualities of other people The more you're exposed to that, the more you will begin to do the same. You'll begin to think negative thoughts. You're going to begin to speak negative, hurtful, and toxic words yourself. Few people are consciously aware of the power behind their words. And even fewer realize that they're being held accountable God for their speech in Matthew chapter 12 verse 36 this is what Jesus said but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty or careless word that they have spoken so let's drill down a bit and explore how we can discourage and hurt others with our words One way we discourage others with our words is by cursing them. In this passage I just read a few moments ago, James says in verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We curse others through the use of a negative label, like calling them stupid or an idiot or a host of other expletives that we so often hear on the street. We curse others by comparing them unfavorably with someone else, either directly or behind their back. We can curse someone by keeping the negative aspects of their character and their competence alive. Making statements like, well, you know, he's untrustworthy. He's a whiner. Or or she's lazy, she's never on time, she's disorganized. All of these are curses. Now, to be clear, if those particular statements describe a person's character and an employer calls an employee on it, that's one thing, because the intent of the employer is to help the person become a better person and shed these negative qualities. But you see, when our motive in saying these things is to make the person look bad in the eyes of other people, that's cursing them and their reputation in the eyes of others. And it should not be. Secondly, we discourage others with our words through gossip. In Proverbs 18, Solomon writes... The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. In other words, for some people, gossip is like a delectable dessert. They love to indulge in it and savor its taste. And yet people, and yet if people could see the poisonous effect of gossip, they wouldn't indulge in it. And so, what is gossip? Well, gossip is sharing anything about someone that doesn't reflect well on that person or isn't helpful uh, for that person's situation. I like this definition because it gets at our underlying motivation. You see, whenever we talk about someone else, our motivation in sharing it must always be to build up and to benefit the person we're talking about. And never to bring into question the other person's character or integrity. Regardless of how we package it, we need to realize that we are sinning when we do it. And that our reputation as a channel of gossip is being tarnished as well. In other words, gossip not only hurts the other person's reputation, but in doing so, it is also hurting our reputation for telling it. A third way we use our words to discourage others is through hurtful criticism. It is one thing to give constructive criticism when you go directly to an individual and you share your concerns in a spirit of humility and love and for their benefit. It is another to make critical statements to them in front of others or to take pot shots at them from the sidelines with the intent of making them look bad in the eyes of others. That is not constructive but it's destructive. You know, the Bible is right when it says, you reap what you sow. If you are a, credit, a critical negative person who regularly demeans other people, life will treat you in kind. People will tend to treat you the same way that you have treated others. On the other hand, if you have a, have the spirit and the joy of the Lord in your life and have a positive upbuilding perspective of other people the joy you share with others will be returned to you in spades and your life will be full of joy. James says this about those who use their tongues unwisely. Those who consider themselves religious And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. Deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. This is a spiritually terrifying statement. For it expresses who we really are inside. An out of control tongue suggests bogus religion. No matter how well one's devotion is carried out. In Matthew 12, Jesus confronted the religious leaders of his day about their hypocrisy, saying that a tree is recognized by its fruit, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so in light of this teaching, let me ask you, how is our religion... More accurately, how's our faith? Do we pass along choice morsels of gossip for others to gleefully take in? Do we have a sharp, critical tongue? Are people built up, encouraged, and healed when they're around us? Or are they crushed and hurt by our words? Fathers, let me ask you, Are you teaching your sons to respect women in the way that you talk to and treat your wife? Guys, are you setting a Christ like example to those in your sphere of influence in the way that you talk about and to women and to people of other cultures or just people in general? Mothers, are you teaching your children to respect men? in the way you talk to and treat your husband? Ladies, are you setting a Christ-like example to those in your sphere of influence, in the way that you talk to and about men, to people in other cultures or to people in general? Employers, what are you, what are your employees learning about you and your faith through your talk? And the way you talk to others or about others. Students, what are your fellow students learning about your faith through the words you speak? Are they learning to hurt or to heal, to curse or to bless, to encourage or discourage? Which brings us to the final part of this message. How can we redeem our speech? Well, first of all, we must repent. We need to get our heart right with God first, asking him to forgive us for the gossip and the slander and the poison that we've been spreading. When James says in Matthew, when Jesus says in Matthew 12, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, He was saying what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's going on in your heart. If toxic talk is coming out of your mouth, something isn't right in your heart. Jesus Christ died on the cross, made it possible for you and me to be forgiven of our sins and regrets and to start over again. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To repent means that you agree with God about your sinful and self-centered attitudes and talk. And you're committed to turn around and go the other way. You know, I love the story of a pastor who named Fred who, on his birthday, was given a parrot by an old friend. Fred had always wanted a parrot, in part because it would be someone who could listen to his sermons and give him the kind of feedback that he wanted to hear. The problem is, as he got to know his parrot, he realized the parrot had the same mouth as his friend, swore like a trooper, and was critical of everyone and everything. He did everything he could to change this parrot's ways. Nothing worked. And one day, he just simply had enough of the parrot's terrible language, and so he locked him in the pantry. Well, the parrot lost it. He clawed and he scratched, and he made a terrible mess of that pantry. And when the pastor finally let him out, the parrot let out a stream of vulgarities that would make a veteran sailor blush. Well, that did it. The pastor picked the bird up and put him in the freezer. And once again, the bird kicked and thrashed around, swearing up a storm. But then suddenly, it got very quiet. The pastor waited and waited and Then he got to thinking that maybe the parrot hurt himself. So after a few moments of silence, he opened the freezer door. The bird calmly climbed onto the man's outstretched hand and said, Awfully sorry, sir, about the trouble I gave you. I'll do my best to improve my vocabulary and speech from now on. Well, the pastor was astonished. He couldn't understand what happened that would cause such a sudden and dramatic change in the parrot. Then nodding his head in the direction of the freezer, the parrot said, Well, by the way, I was just wondering, what did the frozen chicken do? I'll give the parrot some credit. He realized in a very graphic way, that his foul talk could have destructive consequences, and he changed his ways. In the same way, we need to realize the power of our words and to repent and to resolve to no longer say hateful, slanderous and critical things about others. Furthermore, if we're going to be encouragers of others, then we must forgive others for cursing us. You know, based upon my interaction with people down through the years, I'm convinced that there are all kinds of people who are listening to me right now who aren't reaching their God-given potential, who are insecure, they're feeling inadequate, because they're still believing the outright lies that someone spoke to them in their past. Toxic, hurtful words like, you're good for nothing. You will never amount to anything. You are useless. If you're carrying around a lie or a curse like that, you're carrying around a lot of baggage that is both unnecessary and defeating. You know Galatians 3:13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus died to set us free from the power and the effects of curses, the lies and the acts of discour- dis- discouragements that others have directed to us. You need to stop and ask God to help you identify the curses And the lies that have been spoken to you. And find freedom by renouncing them for what they are. They are falsehoods. They are deceitful lies from the pit of hell. And instead, claiming the truth of who you are in Christ. A child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Loved and precious. And totally acceptable in his sight because of who you are in Christ. And so, for example, do you struggle with unrealistic expectations for yourself? Then ask God to reveal to you what's behind this incredible need to please other people incessantly. And to prove your worth to others. Who are you trying to impress? Maybe more accurately, who from your past are you trying to prove wrong? Do you labor under the feeling that you just don't measure up? Because somewhere in your past, someone compared you unfavorably with someone else? Psalm 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God himself. There is no higher compliment. We're made by God himself. We have immense value because God created us and he doesn't make junk. We are so valuable, friends, that God sent what was most precious to him, his only son, to actually die for us. Once you embrace God's truth about who you are, you will not only be able to renounce and shed the lies that have been spoken to you, but also to forgive those who have spoken those lies and those curses to you or about you. And when you do, you will be set free to be all that God wants you to be. Thirdly, if we want to be encouragers, then we need to think before we speak. Remember, your chances of saying things that you shouldn't are directly proportional to the amount of time you spend with your mouth open talking. Not only should we talk less and listen more, but when we do talk, we are wise when we pause 10 seconds or so and mentally preview what we're thinking of saying. Is what you're about to say Accurate or exaggerated? Is it kind or cutting? Is it wholesome or vile? Is it grateful or complaining? Is it uplifting or slanderous? Many people shift their mouths into high gear without ever getting their minds out of neutral. Solomon wrote, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Proverbs 29:20 20 says, "Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for them." It is so important that we think before we speak, to consider the destructive potential in what we're about to say. As the old Quaker used to say, never break the silence unless you can improve on it. And then fourthly and finally, if we're going to be encouragers, then we need to have the heart of Christ. Our heart attitude must be to honor others above ourselves. To daily ask the Holy Spirit, to fill us, to help us do what Jesus would do and say in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Make no mistake, the most joy-filled people, the most well-loved people are people who focus on others rather than on themselves. On the other hand, the most unhappy, angry, and negative people are those who wonder how everyone else is going to make them happy. You can always spot self-centered people. They walk into a room with this attitude and you just kind of feel the vibes coming off of them. The attitude that says, here I am. (laughs) Notice me, listen to me, give me your attention. On the other hand, joy-filled people enter a room not with this arrogant attitude that says, here I am, but there you are. Their focus is on others, on listening to them and encouraging them. And so daily, ask God to change you more and more into a there you are person. You know, the New Testament Greek word for encouragement Comes from the same root word as comforter, used in reference to the Holy Spirit. It carries this idea of one who comes alongside to help. Like when your car battery goes dead, I'm sure some of you have had that experience. And it's minus 30 out, and someone comes along with some cables and gives you a boost. Well, the Holy Spirit of God comes along us to encourage, to strengthen, to embolden our faith, to give us a spiritual boost to remain faithful to the Lord. In essence, that is the ministry of encouragement. It's having a there-you-are attitude and with the help of the Holy Spirit coming alongside people who are fearful, who are faint-hearted, who are discouraged, who are wavering in their faith, and in Jesus' name, giving them a boost through some form of encouragement. In fact, when we encourage others, we come as close to the work of the Holy Spirit as anything we do in God's family. I mean, isn't it cool to think about that? A true encourager sacrifices their rights and accepts people where they are, encourages delight in the growth and the success of others. There is no envy or jealousy or competition because the focus is off themselves and on the other person. You know, I'm convinced that every person who's living a full, satisfying, impactful life is the product of a group of encouragers like this. That group of people often includes parents, brothers and sisters, a close friend, a teacher, a boss, a coach, a pastor or spiritual mentor who had your best interest at heart, often put your interests ahead of their own, and encouraged you to step out and be the person that God created you to be. I mean, just reflect for a moment. Who have those people been? Who are those people in your life? Who are those people that God used to help you to stay focused not on what you thought you were, but on who Jesus says you are and who and what you can be in Christ. When was the last time you blessed them by telling them the difference they made in your life and thanking them? But you see, here's the thing. Everyone in this place can be that for someone else. Every one of us can make a decision to give our lives away in service to others, delighting in their growth and success, and speaking truth, hope, and encouragement into their lives. In God's eyes, there is no greater calling, there is no greater measure of success than to put others ahead of ourselves and to serve them, and to encourage them. And I say that because our greatest example, Jesus, said this, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I challenge all of us to get up every morning First thing, surrender our lives anew to Jesus, and then ask Him to fill us with His holy spirit and to use us in some way to bless and encourage others the way that we've talked about. I'll close with this. Many years ago, a speaker whose name I can't recall, he told the story of a famous painter, Benjamin West and how he how he got to the place where he loved to paint as a young boy when his mother left he would pull out the oils and he would try to paint one day benjamin pulled out all of the paints determined to paint a portrait of his sister and he got really carried away and he made quite a mess And then it dawned on him, too late, that his mother would soon be home. And so he frantically tried to clean up the mess that he'd made, but it was too late. She walked through the front door, and facing her was the biggest mess that she had ever seen. West says what happened next completely surprised him. Rather than going ballistic and reprimanding him, for the mess that he had made. She walked over to his painting. She picked it up, and she said, my, what a beautiful painting of your sister. And then she gave him a kiss on the cheek, and walked away. With that kiss and words of encouragement, West wrote, I became a painter. You know, folks, Every day, you and I are trying to paint a picture of Jesus in and through our lives, through what we say and what we do. But we make messes, don't we? The last thing we need is for someone to come along and say, what a mess. What a lousy painting. What we need is a kiss or a word of encouragement. It is vital for life and for relationships. We each need it and so do members of your family, your friends, your colleagues at work, fellow students, neighbors, the person who's sitting next to you right now. Every one of us can be a kiss of encouragement in the life of someone. Who has God placed in your life that you will be that too? Let's stand for a moment of reflection and prayer. some ways, this is kind of a bit of a hard-hitting sermon. Its truths are hard-hitting. And I'm sure some of you are feeling a bit distressed right now because you've been anything but an encourager. Well, remember, you can agree with God about this. You can confess your sin and your neglect in this area to him. And with his help, you can commit to being a person of encouragement to follow the way of jesus and give your life away in love and service to others after that you can ask god to change your heart and then determine from this time forward to be a channel of his love and encouragement by lifting people up in prayer writing notes of encouragement praying for someone who's in distress, inviting someone out for coffee, offering a listening ear, saying, well done. You're really good at that. Offering to help someone with a difficult task and or just simply starting out by giving your time, investing in the lives of children or youth, Or others who need your encouragement, who need your friendship, and who need your guidance. And never forget that as you sincerely encourage others, you yourself will be blessed by God and also by others as they bless you, even as you have blessed them. So, for a moment, let's close our eyes and let's lift our hands to the Lord and let's ask those two questions Lord what are you saying to me and Lord what do you want me to do about it as we spend the next few moments quietly with our Lord let me just say this if the Spirit of God reminds you of the need to forgive someone who hurt you or said lies to you. If the Spirit of God reminds you that you need to ask God for forgiveness for the things that you've done, the hurt that you've caused, I want to encourage you to to make your way up here to the altar where you can pray alone and unload the weight of guilt or the weight of hurt that you've been carrying around And you can leave it at the altar and then go back to your seat. Or you can pray with one of our prayer partners who are making their way up right now, who would love to pray for you and help you embrace Christ as your Savior and Lord and to work through this heaviness that's on your heart. They're here. They want to pray for you. And so we're going to be singing a song quietly. And as God speaks to you, when when you're saying, Lord, what are you saying to me? And what do you want me to do about it? I wanna challenge you. Don't stop with just, what are you saying to me, God? If he's calling you to do something about it, like coming up here and confessing or getting rid of that hurt through Jesus, you follow through and obey. Otherwise, this sermon that you've just heard at least for you, has just been a waste of time. Honor the Spirit as He calls you.